0: Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, movie theaters are opening back up. We review Nobody, starring Bob Odenkirk, and our guest is Adam Wingard, the director of Godzilla vs. Kong. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 158 of Real Blend, a podcast I can't believe they're actually going to call the sequel Face On. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and uh, this week's show is jam-packed with information, including information about that face-off sequel that's coming up, uh, because we have Godzilla vs. Kong director Adam Wingard as our guest. We're also going to be talking about movie theaters opening soon, and we're going to be reviewing Nobody, the new film by Bob Odenkirk, doing his best, well, I don't know what it is, Death Wish, Taken john wick it's a john wick type ref off well we'll get to that point we'll get to bob Odenkirk in a second because first i have to introduce birthday boy kevin mccarthy of fox oh. 5 in washington dc hi kev
1: hello sean jacob gabriel good to see you good guys see
0: you. happy birthday to you my friend
1: thank you very much i appreciate Belated. you guys love you guys Belated.
0: yes we're recording the day after kevin's birthday send me love uh and by we i mean jake hamilton of fox 32 in chicago hi jakey how are you hello handsome how are you i'm doing well um We have, so for people who might have missed it, because this is the full show for this week, we had a bonus episode that ran on Monday that you should go out of your way to go find.
2: Who was was on that bonus episode?
0: The director of Tom Petty's documentary, uh, Somewhere You Will Feel. (laughs) We need to boost her numbers. (laughs) Go check out her her interview with us right after you see Zack Snyder, uh, the director of Justice League. And Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman, as well as 300 and Watchmen, joined the Real Blend podcast. Some really great feedback from everybody on it. Uh, seems people in the comments are truly digging it. A lot of people are sharing it. We are so thankful for you guys checking it out. We're so thankful for Zach to coming by. And I love the fact that, uh, you know, we were able to talk to him. We talked to him actually on the day that the Snyder Cut got released, which was really special for us. And um, it was really cool to have him on. So make sure you go check that out. It's over on our YouTube page. You can also download it where you get your podcast. If you're watching us on that YouTube page, as I mentioned, uh, make sure you go down and hit subscribe, turn on your notifications. If you're listening to us on your podcast portals, uh, go to the description to find out where to go for our YouTube channel. And of course, there's the Real Blend Premium, which we're always promoting as well, too. We drop bonus episodes of the show every Monday. You can go sign up for that at bit.ly backslash realblendpremium. Let's get to the weekly poll. I know we just have been talking about Snyder Cut for a really long time and the extension of of, uh, Justice League, but we're ramping up for a movie that we're going to have some really interesting conversations about for the next couple of weeks, Godzilla vs. Kong. And I put it to our our, uh, listeners and I said, settle this fight. Who is going to win this battle? Godzilla Or Kong? Jake, of all the people who voted, what direction do you think they went with the poll? Who is going to win this fight, this big screen epic extravaganza, Godzilla or Kong?
2: It seems like I was trying to think about the conversation that came out once the trailer was released. And it seemed like a majority of people uh, were leaning toward, logistically speaking, that Godzilla would win. It seemed like there was maybe a want for Kong to win, right? Um, and I right. think that that element comes from the fact that he's just a little bit more human, so I think he is more relatable um, in that sense. Uh, so it depends on how our audience voted, like how they thought, like okay, like logistically speaking, like Godzilla's bigger and he's got fire breath, or if they went with their hearts.
0: Um, I think uh, I'm gonna say they chose Godzilla. Okay, before I get to the results, um, you're right in that I've heard the comparison That almost ties it back to Batman versus Superman, not to stay on Snyder, although we love Snyder, in that most people would argue, like, there's no possible way that Batman, who is a person, uh, no matter how many gadgets he has, you know, or how many things, would be able to defeat Superman, because Superman is just all powerful. And by comparison, Kong should not be able to beat Godzilla, um, because Godzilla is a massive creature. And not that Kong is a slouch, I'm not trying to dismiss him in any way, shape, or form, but you're right, it's people who are voting from their heart. And, and Godzilla did win. Godzilla got 52% of the vote as opposed to uh, Kong, 48%. And we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people on social media asking, uh, is there a clear cut winner in this movie? And um, we can't review it yet. So we'll hold off on that conversation. Kev, are you surprised by the results?
1: No, I mean, I- I'm surprised how close it was. Mm-hmm. I-, I agree that I think people want Kong to win because just, you know, Emotionally, Kong is a very interesting character. Um, but no, I think Godzilla. I think at the end of the day, if you're looking at put, putting them up against each other, I think people are going to probably choose Godzilla. So we'll see. We'll see how I I, don't we'll remember, see what happens. I
0: don't remember where either of you two are. Okay, taking this movie out of it because we can't talk about it yet. Where do you rank the other three MonsterVerse movies that we've gotten so far? We have two Godzilla films and, and Kong Skull Island. I'm Skull gonna be Island, honest with you?
2: Yeah. And then yeah. down here, yeah. Godzilla and King of the
0: Monsters. All right, but you both like Skull Island a lot. Uh, yeah, Skull, I think Skull Island, yeah, it's
1: great. Skull Island's amazing. Yeah. It's like I a now with a giant ape in it. I saw someone on Twitter the other day. It made me really happy. There, there was something about like uh, uh, this, this universe of films. All the directors have like really good beards. And then you look at it. was a photo of, Jor- of Jordan, the director of uh, Kong Skull Island, this massive yeah. beard. And then as you just saw or you're going to see in our Adam Wingard interview, uh, yeah. or is it Wingard or Wing- Wingard? I don't know. I don't know. How, I'm not...
2: Wingard. Wingard. Okay. Uh, Whatever Sean epic... says, it's the opposite.
1: <laughs> yeah, he has an epic beard too. I thought it was yes. really funny that both those filmmakers in the I don't know who directed uh, who directed uh Godzilla was that um, some
0: beardless hack?
1: <laughs> no, it was uh, no it was the that guy was Michael Michael, yeah. Michael
0: Doherty Michael Michael no, Doherty Doherty did the second
1: one. Oh. he did Godzilla uh, oh, uh gareth Monsters. Gareth, the one who did uh, gareth, gareth, gareth Evans, yeah. right?
0: Gareth. No, yes. wait. Edwards. Yeah, there's no, two of right, them. was the right. movie
1: he did, that monster film with that awesome... It's called Monsters, I believe. It's called Mon- yeah. Is it called
0: Monsters? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's
3: what... really funny. Got him the gig? That's what got him, yeah.
0: <laughs> and then, of course, Rogue One, right? He sort of directed Rogue One, <laughs> from what we believe. I kind of admire Millie Bobby Brown growing out a really long beard, too, just because she's in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's commitment to the bit uh why don't we throw it right to somebody who really knows what they're talking about in terms of godzilla versus kong we are really happy to have adam wingard on the show as a guest uh tremendous stories about the making of this film not quite spoilery i think we avoid most of the spoiler talk gabe you've listened to it right yeah
3: so i will say um so for our international audience from what i gathered you will be able to rent it starting this weekend which is why we're dropping it now um but if, if you want to know nothing, then of course, you know, hold this for later. Uh, but you, we don't get into anything that wasn't already a part of discussions surrounding the trailers and, and before release. Fair and enough. then, of
0: course, some face off stuff, which is great. Well, without further ado, Adam Wingard on the Real Blind podcast seriously thank you for joining us adam we, we are the real blend
2: podcast and we're sort of a really a film uh director baseball we love sort of diving in and getting into the intricacies of filmmaking and so seriously thank you so much for taking the time to do this
4: awesome thank you guys
2: um so i'm gonna lead us off um a few months ago i did an interview with bruce campbell and i asked him why they never moved forward on ash versus freddie versus jason and he said that in the early uh, planning stages that there were just so many rules and regulations about what ash could and could not do to freddy and jason like they could he couldn't hurt them too much he couldn't do this he couldn't do that like notes from all the studios about he was just so restricted and i'm sort of curious when you came into this did you get notes about rules and restrictions about what
4: godzilla and kong could and could not do to each other yeah. um not necessarily what they couldn't do to each other but i will say toho does have rules about how kong can or not kong but godzilla can uh, act in certain ways like you know, like I, I can't remember if they ever gave us like a formal list, but I was definitely said, you know, told, you know, like, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, we're gonna do this, and then somebody's like, oh, Toho won't let you do that. You know, <laughs> what, what would be an example I, of that? Um, you know, I, I it, it, like one of them, for instance, is they don't want godzilla to emote you know like like in terms of like they don't they they see him as like this godlike force of nature and so to them it's out of character if you have him reacting um in in a normal way to things right but mm. there was always ways around it um we definitely uh, uh have some moments where i think godzilla is more emotive in this film than he has been in any of the monsterverse movies and and, and we just had to get clever with it and they, and i think that Sometimes that stuff is kind of presented to you in a very like, you know, you know, like brick wall kind of way. But if you're if you just do certain things and present it to them just right. And if they're on board with the movie, they, they seem to give us plenty of leadway. We never actually had them say, you can't do this. There's one there's one shot where we actually had. Um, some, some blood coming out of Godzilla at one point, and oh, uh, cool. And it actually like went all over the camera. it's it's actually still in the movie uh but it's it's pared down you know because I, I can't remember if that was actually directly toho saying you can't do that or if that was just um you know somebody from legendary being like we're never going to get that through toho i can't remember which one it was but i do remember we did three different versions of the shot like most blood least blood you know but i was, you know, like, <laughs> was cool to see godzilla's blood so you know i was just glad yeah. do it so you're,
2: so we're never going to get a scene where like godzilla has a, has a tear rolling down his cheek
4: <laughs> well you know not in a conventional way but <laughs> you know, like I. I actually there's there's a couple shots in the film to me where Godzilla's smiling and laughing and you know it's still interpretational but I think people will be able to pick it out. I think I even talk about it in the audio commentary so. Yeah. Well
1: in, in the in the release the Adam cut of the film there's going to be a uh, a moment where Godzilla <laughs> breaks the fourth wall and talks right to the audience. That's going to be that's, that's right. going to be amazing. Like Terry,
4: but with Godzilla, you know.
0: <laughs> I, I like that Adam's like I can't have Godzilla's blood so I'm just going to have Kong drink the blood of the dinosaur skull. <laughs> <laughs> take that <laughs> yeah we'll do that <laughs> um adam you know i would love your films uh leading up to this and you know they've been a huge fan of you coming through the uh the years and i you know all of your films i i envision that like on the day you've completed filming you're able to turn to your footage and process what you just saw you know and know what you whether you got the shot or not but on a film like this as i'm watching it play out and the scale is just so epic and i'm thinking like you know, you might not see the finished product of a scene, you know, months, it'll take months for the effects to get finished. What was that like adjusting to that and just having the patience and like, how did you know in a movie like this that you got the shot that you needed?
4: Well, it's 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 a bit nightmarish as you're uh, alluding to because, you know, you, like you said, like whenever you normally have a uh, editor's cut or um, especially a director's cut, you know, which is your first kind of like, 10 weeks that you have to do your first pass of the film you always basically have the movie you might have a couple shots here or there where you're like okay like you know we're gonna add more blood to this shot because we didn't get it quite on the day or something like that but Mm -hmm. by and large it's the movie you know um with this film you know uh i remember like my editor, very early on, who's a really smart guy, josh Schaefer, he He worked a little bit on Kong. He worked a little bit on um, King of Monsters, and he's done a bunch of other movies. And you know, he's a very smart guy because there's you're always playing a little bit of a game, you know, when you're working with um, with this much money, you know, mm-hmm. like people are looking at you and they're nervous, and yeah. you know, um, they don't know what you've done, really. You don't know what you've done, you know. Yeah. And he was very smart because whenever he showed me the editor's cut, we were still a long ways off from having the VFX filled in. We had certain sequences like the ocean battle. We always had previs from the start. Mm. I mean, you know, it fluctuated in size and stuff, but we kind of always knew what that sequence is, but there was large sections of the film that were still being kind of written as we were shooting it. Mm. And so, you know, for instance, like the hollow earth stuff, it's like, we we had lots of concept art. We didn't actually know what hollow earth was at this point. You know what right. I mean? It, it was not defined yet because we didn't even have any previs on it because things kept changing. And, you know, the previs was always more focused on the Godzilla and Kong fights. And so there's lots of like these large sections of the film where you just got like, text on screen saying you know this is gonna happen here (laughs) and that kind of things and and going back to what my editor said he was very smart He, he when he showed me the editor's cut of the film he said look he's like it's gonna it's gonna buy you so much with the studio if you show them a cut early, you know, because as in, in the Directors Guild, you have uh, you know a mandatory like ten weeks or whatever it is uh, for your cut mm. without any interference whatsoever, right? Oh wow, um, I didn't know. But that. you know, if you want, you can you know you can you can sneak a you know a look to the to the producers, you know, right. and so you know. And at first, I was like, "Go fuck yourself." There's no way that I'm going to show <laughs> anybody anything early. You know, like, I'm going to make myself look horrible if I do that. No way. I was like, I'm going to take all 10 weeks. And so here I am editing, you know, for six weeks. And I've kind of done, because what I like to do, because, uh, I, you know, customarily, I've always edited my own films. Up until yeah. recently, I started working with editors. But I still always do a pass um, myself. So, right as soon as I finish a film, I sit down for, you know, about five to six weeks by myself while the editor is doing other stuff. And I'm just doing my past. I'm familiarizing myself with the footage and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I'm doing totally my thing. Right. And so I got six weeks into it and I took a look at it and I'm just like, you know what, like there's so much of this film that's just not there. Yeah. And, and we've already got it down, you know, pared down to two hours and 15 minutes or whatever. I knew that the movie was never going to be over two hours. So I kind of knew what my goal was, you know, and I was like, you know what, you're, you're absolutely right. I was like, it's not like the movie is going to get drastically better, you know, in the rest of the time we have left and we're only going to get, you know, by goodwill if we show something early. So that's what we did. We spent, you know, a couple weeks working together. And then I think like two weeks early, you know, we, we, we brought in, uh, um, uh, our producers and said, "Okay, here secretly is where we're at, and you know we want to bring you guys in on the process." And you know, it, you know, you're always having to think about things kind of like that. You know, you can't just like, you know, like this this piece of paper says I get ten weeks, so go fuck yourself. It's like yeah, yeah. Yeah. you kind of shoot yourself in your foot sometimes if you get legalistic about things. You know, you have to be realistic and you have to know that they, you know, they're, they they just want to help. You know, and 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 sometimes. That can be scary but like you know you're all on the same team you're all trying to make the best movie possible and you know it's trying to bring everybody together to to, to make that happen That it, you know the second that you start creating a rivalry between yourself and the studio um you know that that's where problems happen you know and uh you know yeah <laughs> cool
0: thank you know, adam I
1: appreciate that yeah it was a really cool answer it's cool I, I love the inside elements of that um you know one thing i find interesting is your two leading characters are CGI but you know they look incredible in the, in the finished product but I wonder uh, two things one are there actors playing Godzilla and Kong in performance capture and then two for the actors the human characters um, Brian Tyree Henry was saying that there was laser pointers used on set for eyelines. so could you talk about kind of how you capture what Kong and Godzilla are doing do you have actors doing it and then the actor human actors what they're looking at specifically
4: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a variety of different things. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's really fascinating approach, because as a director, um, funny enough, you know, a lot of the times I didn't, you know, I wasn't a part of the process of the day to day, how do you get the animation to look this way? Like, my process was always, okay, here's the script. Okay, maybe the script's not that descriptive about the action. So we have to come up with the action. So it's me sitting with the storyboard artist, you know, trying all kinds of different things, whittling it down, then giving that over to the pre or post-vis um, animation artists who are you know, really trying to get the angles, you know, and the timing and stuff. And so they're working off the storyboards a bit, working off of discussions that I've had with my VFX supervisor. And then they start fleshing it out and then we take it into editorial. We edit it into the movie. And then once we kind of start locking the picture, Um, or at least something resembling locking the picture because you have to get these things so far in motion before the movie's even close to being done that you just have to say, okay, this scene is done enough. Go ahead and get going on the next (laughs) process. You try not to waste as much money as possible, you know, because it just takes so long. Because then the next uh, uh, level of process is then you know, uh, you get to more detailed animation. And then after that, you get into the actual emotions of the monster. So, you know, you know, you might have like a pass that gets all the angles and all the timing right, but there's no emotion in his face. And that's where like the motion capture stuff usually would be utilized and at those levels. Ooh. But I was never in the room for it. It was always through my VFX supervisor. This is what I want Godzilla to be doing. This is what I want Kong to be doing. And then you have to trust just like you would your cinematographer or your yeah. actors you have to trust them to bring something to you you know you have to trust them as artists and 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 honestly like if if it was ever a situation where I wasn't over I felt like I wasn't getting what I wanted I would have gotten more involved in that sense but they just always had such a great intuitive sense of how to approach the emotions of the monsters, and they could always do it through simple dialogue that I had, you know, with my VFX supervisor to them, and um, and so that that never ended up being too 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 hard to get there. And as you, you know, like the movie itself has a lot of emotions in the monsters, you know, it's like I think it's like the most emotions that you see in these monsters in 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 this series. And so, you know, to get there, it's, it's just such a crazy process, but it just kind of works out weirdly because you're working with talented people and you trust them and you give them the, the, the you know, the ability to do their thing, you know. And then in terms of on set, you know, like, yeah, we used laser pointers, um, <laughs> we used sound effects sometimes, you know, like I had, uh, we had a, a PA system and I would like play sound effects from E-Squared, the company that does all the the sound effects for the movie. And, cool. you know, uh, that was something actually I kind of learned from uh, Darty. I was on set for... Um, King of Monsters for a couple of days, and you know he had like a whole crazy setup, and like he had every like every scene it seemed like he had sound effects and stuff going on, and you know I would use the sound effects just when I needed the actors to kind of act violently to something, but sometimes I would play music if you know if if it was an emotional scene and they're having to work with Kong and I needed a specific thing like I'd play music and you know luckily Junkie XL had done some of the score um, yeah the god oh. genius and- yeah. <laughs> (laughs) yeah he's great, and so you know he um you know he 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 had already given me some stuff so i was actually able to use some of his music on set to to kind of just help the performances and those kind of
1: oh he gave you score for the film already like like while you were shooting that's 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 pretty rare right
4: yeah well i mean it's always a way that i've tended to work you know because i like to work with the composers ahead of time and have them at least give me some sort of suites you know, so that yeah. I can kind of at least calibrate sort of like the vibe of the movie to sort of what they're doing and vice versa. And um, it just gives me inspiration, really. That's awesome. And, you know, and, and Junkie XL, I mean, he's just like he's a madman. So he, he's <laughs> ready to jump on it and, you know, just get it done. And, um, you know, he, he works like a machine, you know. <laughs> yeah. Great composer. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Adam, the the trailers for this film were incredible. In fact, I think they were like literally record breaking on YouTube. Um, And there was one trailer that came out where basically, if if you go frame by frame, you can see a very quickly Mechagodzilla. And instantly, like the internet just went nuts because people started going, like taking freeze frames and people started going, oh my God, is Mechagodzilla in the film? And people started going nuts. As a filmmaker, when a trailer comes out and like a little Easter egg is hidden in there, And then the internet just goes nuts and starts like posting the image of it. Is there a part of you that's like, son of a bitch? Like (laughs) that's, 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 that's our big moment.
4: No, not at all. I mean, like, as a matter of fact, with the, that, that original trailer, one of the first things that I really appreciated about it is that it, it is that on one hand it felt, you know, like it was kind of giving you a straightforward idea of what the movie is. But it really didn't show very much of the film. There's so many different environments, yeah. all kinds of stuff that happens in the movie that it doesn't even allude to. But there's all these little hints that kind of play up. And I think that I think that it was really smart because everybody knows nowadays that, you know, when you release a trailer, it's going online. That's how people are experiencing right. things. And people are gonna pick apart frame by frame. I mean, especially on a big you know kind of ip property like this that has a built-in fan base people are ready to dissect it and with our film in particular i mean you know we had nobody knew what this film was for years i mean like i I, you wouldn't believe the amount of uh, you know instagram dms that i get from people (laughs) like begging for the trailer begging for anything and you know it's like you want to give it to them but you're just like look it's not it's not time yet you know and uh you know, nobody wants it out more than me, but uh, but you know that those people are just so ready that they're gonna they're gonna analyze everything and they're gonna have theories about what the movies what what's going on in that scene and they're gonna break it down in full videos. And that's that was super fun for me to watch, you know, just to see
0: all the different theories and reactions to it in general. Uh, Adam, I promise, well, the last Mecha Godzilla question, because <laughs> I know it's, it's a lot of it that we want to protect, but I'm curious from this from this perspective. When you come to a project like this, are you able to say to them, uh, I ultimately want to include Mechagodzilla and, and use them? Or do they, when you arrive, do they say, like, okay, we're going to use Mechagodzilla. You better figure out how to make it work?
4: Well, I, um, I can't say anything directly about Mechagodzilla. Sure.
0: But I will say that. Let's say like- if he were to be in this movie. Yeah,
4: yeah, I'll be like you ever see that Ted Bundy documentary where they get Ted Bundy to talk about his murders by like yeah. talking <laughs> in the third person. It's yeah. like that's what I have to oh, do. I have to the one on Netflix to talk about.
0: Yeah. yeah uh, OJ wrote a book. OJ Simpson wrote a book called If that's I right. Did It. If I
4: did it. Yeah, exactly. If I did it. If <laughs> Godzilla. Now, um, <laughs> like uh the the what existed of this film before I came on was uh there was a writers room that had been put together by Terry Rossi Ago, who was a brilliant guy, and he? Um, so, like, there was like a three or four-page outline. Maybe it was longer. Maybe it was shorter. I can't remember. Um, and it was just sort of like a framework for what the movie could be. And so, my my process coming in was then sitting down with Terry for a couple sessions. Um, and we just note carded the entire film. We like basically had two blackboards or three or whatever it was. And we went into one of the legendary boardrooms. Um, they have really cool boardrooms with Godzilla artwork and stuff there, you know? And um, and so you feel real fancy and stuff, you know? And by the way, like one of the first meetings I had with Terry, it was really funny because, you know, Terry, you know, he's, he's been around for years. I mean, he, he helped write Aladdin, Shrek, Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean, you know? And so like one of the first meetings I had with him, we were in this big boardroom, just by ourselves, huge boardroom. And he's like, he's like, you know, let's just take a minute. He's like, he's like, you just have to take a moment and look at this and just, just know it's like, we've fooled everybody into letting us (laughs) into this room right now. (laughs) We say that in every Zoom. Yeah, we feel that basically about this job. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I bet, you know, so You know, um, but, you know, so like we were able to go through the whole film and, you know, talk, talk through every scene, develop every scene before he went into writing it. And we we came up with a lot of really cool ideas that ended up in the movie. And, you know, so I was able to totally make it mine and, you know, put very much my own spin on it and all that kind of stuff. So that was cool. That's awesome.
1: Adam, I've always found this fascinating uh, just in cinema in general, but uh, especially in this film in particular, anytime Kong is in distress or stressful situations it's almost more anxiety inducing than it is to watch human characters and I I don't mean that because the human characters in this film are great but in general in the scope of movies I always feel like it's harder to watch an animal in any sort of stressful like a dog or cat whatever it would be and as a filmmaker I wanted to ask your opinion on that because it's really sad when you see Kong in a situation that he doesn't want to be in right and like and there's something about that aspect that hits you harder sometimes like with an animal creature versus a human being and i just wonder like uh, as a filmmaker you know your human characters are great but i I just wonder in general like why do you think audiences feel that way sometimes
4: you know i i think that like you know i think you're definitely right you definitely feel that whenever you're watching any movie and there's an animal i mean that's dog yeah I, i even feel bad just for the animals in the movie, just from a behind-the-scenes perspective, like, <laughs> oh, that poor dog—it has no idea it's in a movie. You know, <laughs> to totally do this stuff. I mean, I, I once had a scene. Like, I hate insects. I think they're disgusting. You know, like, and and so I can't even really look at insects for very long because they gross me out. And I remember <laughs> I did a pilot once, and I had to. It, it involved a cockroach in the opening scene, and there's this uh, like close-up of a cockroach. And I remember looking at this cockroach in the close-up, and I just felt like so scared for the cockroach, you know, like I was like, you know, I didn't, I was like, like, don't hurt the cockroach. We have to be, you know, like, cause I was like, it doesn't know what's going on. Right. Yeah. You know, and and, like, it, it kind of like, Even when I was looking at the close-up, I started like imprinting even more on the cockroach. I started realizing it was (laughs) kind of cute, you know.
1: know, You're right, though. I feel bad stepping on an ant sometimes. I feel (laughs) guilty.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So, um, (laughs) you know, like, so there there is this inherent thing about animals where we just feel protective to them, and the monsters are an extension of that because there's just purity to them. You know, like there's an innocence. You know, even to a giant monster like Kong, there's an innocence to him because he doesn't quite know what's going on all the time, you right. know, like he's reacting and he's, he is this godlike entity, but at the same time, he is like a child. And, you know, like, that's why like his relationship with the Gia character is so important because she's this innocent little kid and that, you know, that there, that something about the purity between the two of them is what kind of helps their you know, mythical co- uh, connection kind of kind of grow. But yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I, I'm terrified for animals anytime I see them in the movies.
0: So. Adam, my wife doesn't watch any of these movies, but she watched this one with me last night on the screener. And I can tell you like three or four times throughout the movie when things would happen to Kong and she'd be like, well,
4: yeah." yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what, like my, my ex-girlfriend and I, we when, we when I was getting hired to do this film, we sat down and we watched um, 76 Kong, you know, and... Um, Is that the Bridges one? Yes. Yeah. And and I hadn't seen that since I was a kid. I actually really enjoyed rewatching it. Um, I thought it held up pretty well, surprisingly. And um, and it was a really funny thing because I never seen her emote to, to any movie. She wasn't even really that much of a film fan, you know, which is really kind of ironic, you know. And um and so after all these years of being together, like I'd never seen her like get emotional during a film, but until the ending of Seventy Six Kong where um they're they're shooting uh kong with the machine guns and blood is just, oh. it, it's very gratuitous you know yeah. it's too gratuitous honestly and um and it was really interesting because i remember like i was feeling kind of emotional from it and suddenly she goes stop already he's dead stop <laughs> shooting him! and she, i looked over and she had tears streaming down yeah. her face. that was a big like moment for me because i was like wow i was like these the There's something about this character that, you know, it just really pulls at your heartstrings and it just hits you to your core. And, you know, that that was a big, big, big lesson for me seeing something like that happen.
1: It's probably a reason why John Wick works so well because, like at the end, the beginning of the film, when, when the dog dies, and then he goes out and kills all these people, like you're you're more worried about the dog that died than all the
4: people that he's. Killed. Oh yeah, like, oh yeah, crazy. absolutely. Yeah, you can see him like headshot like a million people in it. Like, right. but yeah. And honestly, I, like as a
2: as a dog owner, like, 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 I look yes. at that and I go, yeah, I get it. Like I'm do the same
4: thing.
2: Adam, uh, I think we would be remiss if we didn't try to get some kind of face-off information from you. Um, we're 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 all. Massive face-off fans here. I think Kevin's probably about to pull one of his mini <laughs> copies off the shelf. Um, uh, so the last I last we heard, is that it's going to be more of a masterpiece, a sequel rather than than a, than a remake. So yeah. I guess the the obvious question. I don't know if you're willing to answer. Like, are you bringing Travolta and Cage back?
4: Well, I mean. You know, I don't want to give anything away because it's still early. It's but- just us talking. Yeah, yeah. yeah no exactly. one's
1: listening. Yeah, yeah.
4: You know, but but to me, it's like, you know, I've heard people talk about like, okay, what 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 does he mean when he says a sequel? Like some people are saying like, okay, that he must just mean like it's a sequel in the Face Off universe, you know, using the surgery. Maybe it's peripherals in some ways. Like to hmm. me face off is not about the surgery. It's not about the world. It's about Sean Archer and Castor Troy. Yes. You know, the, these characters are what face off is without them, you don't have face off. And so that to me, like, that's what the film it's about. I won't say what that really means, but like, that's, that's the direction we're going in. Like it's, it's about the characters you know, like you can't, that's one thing I learned from doing the, um, the, the, the Blair Witch movie is that uh, it, it didn't it didn't really connect as a sequel of people. Everybody just looked at it like a remake, even though we kind of just saw it as sort of like a fun sort of haunted house ride through the Blair Witch kind of world. Mm-hmm. We still saw it as a sequel, but because there's nothing that's really tying it into the first film, it just feels sort of like fan fiction a little bit to people, I think you know and uh, you know and i and i still like that movie but like it's like i get why it didn't you know really connect and I,
2: I actually think it's that film is genius i'm, I'm yeah. not a massive fan of the original blair but your blair witch i think is like it scared the shit out of me
4: well thank <laughs> it you i appreciate terrifying. that i actually rewatched it recently and i was really i was i had a good time with it you know because I, I think it does some pretty clever things yeah and, that final uh, act especially yeah don't get me wrong i'm very proud of the movie i'm very proud of like all the movies i've done um but uh, but at the end of the day, I know why it, it didn't quite connect with the audiences in the way that it should have. And, um, and so that was a lesson I learned, you know, I, I've learned a lot of lessons over the last few years in terms of like, how to approach, you know, kind of IP material. I mean, Death Note was another one where I went in the opposite direction, where I tried to do kind of my own thing with something that pre-existed. And, you know, I think it, it rubbed people wrong because... They, they it was confusing to them it was like well it's still the character names but it's totally different but it's supposed to be different you know and it's kind of you know like at the, at the end of the day you have to find a way to get to the heart of the source material and you have to be true and you have to honor that and, and, and it's it's a fine line that you're you know you're walking and so Godzilla and Kong I felt like was the first time that I kind of like I nailed it I got it right you know and uh and so with all those lessons going forward it's like i think it really helps Simon and i know what to do when we're when we've been writing face off and you know how to 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 appropriately uh you know do it
1: quick follow-up on the face off thing because it's one of my favorite movies of all time i've seen it like 47 times that's not even a joke um do you consider casters dying at the end of the i mean i i, I know that it's john Wu's it's john Wu's movie but i guess have you talked to john Wu and it, essentially, we think Caster dies at the end of the first one, so uh, if we we're making a sequel to Sean and Caster, is, is that—were uh, you we to assume that Caster didn't die?
4: Well, isn't it weird whenever you look at the end of that film where, you know, the part where John Travolta um, takes uh, the ring off of Caster Troy? You remember that part? They're in the ambulance yes! together. Yes, in the ambulance, yes. Well, did you notice that Caster Troy uh, has a bandage, uh, that, that the medic has bandaged his wound? Just take another look at that scene, you know? that's uh, <laughs> Oh,
0: no!
1: Oh, wow! I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on tonight. I honestly, I just always assume Caster died.
0: Just oh check God. it out, you know? <laughs> oh my God, right. Adam, that's a that's a great reference. I, I'm going to ask you another reference because we're around the same age. We grew up on the same films. I cannot watch any character pop their shoulder back in after it's been replaced ah. and not think of Martin <laughs> Riggs. Uh, yeah. Please tell me that you worked a Martin Riggs reference into Congress, Godzilla oh absolutely i
4: mean yeah yeah. well as a matter of fact there used to be more lethal weapon 2 references in the movie like (laughs) stars barter used to actually have the monologue where he talked about lethal weapon 2 but we cut it out of the movie um you know if you look at the end credits there's still a reference like you know like the at the very end of the credits it kind of mentions a lot of stuff that we had to give thanks for like um Copyright reasons, and we actually have a thanks to or a credit to Lethal Weapon Two, and it's because. Um, and I can't remember if it's still in the film or if they just had to keep it in for whatever reason. But we had like um, he used, his character used a uh, Skarsgård's character used to drink out of a um, uh, a Lethal Weapon Two mug in the movie, and uh, <laughs> we had to get the rights to leave Actually, he used to also wear a Lethal Weapon Two T-shirt, but it was like a Japanese Lethal Weapon Two, so. You, you would only know what it said if you spoke Japanese or read right. Japanese. So uh, yeah. Did you cut a long sequence with Kong on a toilet with an explosive underneath him? Is that what, is that what <laughs> okay, it was? That's for the next one. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, like, I, I, I kind of saw Kong, Kong say I'm was... too old for this shit at one
1: point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, he
4: basically he does in his own grunty way. Uh, that's what he's I, a morning. I always saw Kong as being sort of an 80s action hero, you know, there's obviously like some John McClane references within the movie you know like yeah. <laughs> um, you know so he, he is kind of like one of those guys that's awesome well
1: Adam we really appreciate your time today uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the real blend podcast um, thank you for talking filmmaking with us we are very 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 interested to see what you're going to do with face off I'm very curious how that's going to pan out but now I'm going to go back and watch that uh, that uh, ambulance scene right now when I get off get this call so thank you so much for being on our show we really appreciate it
0: thanks guys We want to thank Warner Brothers for hooking us up with that interview, and we want to start immediately uh, where Adam sort of left us off, which is face-off conversation.
3: This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show.
0: Uh, And I love the fact that, Kev, you really carried that part of the interview by taking it the one step further, and acknowledging the caster, Troy had died at the Ooh. end of face off because I didn't remember that necessarily. And that was a really great way to get more information out of him without him having to give up much of anything. So I don't know about you, but I went back and, and watched that scene uh, immediately after we finished uh, having a conversation with him. Did you go back and watch it too?
1: <laughs> I mean, I've seen the movie literally forty-seven times. Like, okay. I, 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 could, I could tell you the whole scene. I, I, I could see it in my mind. So I didn't, I did not go back and watch it after the interview, to be okay. honest. But I know, I know it well enough to know where the bandages are, to what he, what he looks like as he's sitting as as uh, Caster, or I'm sorry, as uh, Archer is sitting in the uh, in the ambulance at the end as
0: Caster. But yes, I forgot that they. Okay, so remind me then when this happens, because the clip that I watched had Nicolas Cage talking, but he was talking with John Travolta's voice.
1: Right. So, but, okay, all right, you're talking about the ambulance scene
0: specifically. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so when he's talking am- to Joan Allen, his wife, it's Nicolas Cage, and she calls him Archer, or she calls right. him Sean, and he's talking and he has John Travolta's voice.
1: Right, because he's, cause he's still... So at that point, I from what I... If I remember correctly, at that, <laughs> that point... So, yes, so Nick Cage, the actor who's on physically yes. on screen. Yes. Uh, in the body is actually Sean Archer, yes. John Travolta's character, and the voice is coming back.
0: OK, that's what it is So
1: like. So basically, if you if you go back earlier in the film, when they're when they were first switching faces, like uh, travolta goes through that whole sequence where he does like he like massages his throat and gets his and gets his <laughs> voice ready for to that, sound like Caster, and he's like yeah. i could eat a peach for hours and it's like mm-hmm. it's like scraggly scraggly whatever and then it, and then it turns into Caster's voice so if, if you're referring to his voice sounding like travolta within yes. Caster's body that's just because his voice is coming back okay or, or somehow i don't remember the the exact forget details the technology to why.
0: that they used yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. i like that back and when that happened though we were just okay with it we we were like oh yeah that, that works yeah <laughs> you could just massage yeah. his throat uh so the bandage that i think adam's discussing um is when they put the two bodies side by side and when Nicolas cage reaches over to john travolta's the hand yeah. the ring off travolta's body has a very large bandage yeah. uh, on the side that is there i guess deliberately or at least these guys saw it and said like okay that could mean that <laughs> that the medic got to him in time
1: right and well also the reason why he's the reason why he's all bandaged up is because remember like he's basically going to go back into his right i'm trying to remember how this is going to work so in <laughs> archer's body yes. is has caster's face yes so that are they then gonna
0: i'm
1: remold? more confused than when we started yeah how, i don't know i don't know how they're going to do that that's gonna be interesting well,
0: they jump forward um because then the next time you see archer he looks like john travolta again
1: right and and yeah and that was a reshoot that whole scene
0: Which I find very funny because apparently he's going through this really extensive surgery to get turned back into Sean Archer. And when he comes home, his wife is like at the table working on bills. Like she wouldn't be at the hospital, like waiting for him to come out of this massive surgery. I can imagine Michelle like getting massive surgery and I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to wait home for her to come come back. And he comes walking through the door with like flowers and kind of thing.
2: Well, she's better be glad she didn't have massive surgery on the day that Snyder Cut came out because you'd be like, Michelle, it's Snyder Cut Day. I'll get know, back I, to you.
0: I would have been pretty busy. <laughs> I would have been pretty busy. I probably would have gone to go see her. All right. So anyway, face okay, so off I news. The word probably was in that sentence. So, I le- yeah, I'm sorry, Gabe.
3: You might've been about to ask this. My question, he was very vague and deliberately vague about what all of that meant, his hints meant. But do you guys feel, even though maybe things aren't confirmed on the business end of it, that we are going to get the original cast back? It's, I mean, the fact that he's emphasizing that it's a
2: sequel and not a reboot or a remake, to me implies that it they they have to be bringing them back. Because it, how can it be a sequel that anyone
0: would want to make
2: well, unless you're going to get the otherwise have fun with it and pick two other guys that it would be fun to see them play well, each other? One of
0: the, one of the things that um, he said to us is that, you know, it's too early to talk about any of this, really. And what he then said in another interview the same day he was doing this is that those two guys have final script approval like Uh whatever they finish writing those two have to sign off on which means
2: that they're going to read it and why wouldn't they read it yeah unless they were involved
0: it sounds like well it sounds like they're interested yeah but i don't think they're going to commit until these guys come back with whatever their script oh what what are the two of them doing that's so much better (laughs) than face on yeah but i mean like that is one of the movies that both of them probably don't want to mess with right like they it's a legacy title yeah it's yeah. a legacy title you don't want to just come back for a but to Jake's po- but to Jake's point like
3: when you look at the movies that the two of them are doing now why no. would they not want to redo a face off movie yeah. like, and
2: honestly like if Jim Carrey's given us Dumb and Dumber 2 and Eddie Murphy well. has given us Coming to America like, <laughs> yeah like it seems like actors aren't really worried about their legacy films these days
0: hmm. interesting
2: All
3: right. Well, we'll take that. And
2: potentially, like we could be getting Ace Ventura three. I'm hearing. Oh yeah, I
3: saw that. They're calling it Trace Ventura. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a great idea. That was actually Uh, really good. That was really good. Thank you. All
0: right, let's get into the WB's deal to strike a 45 day window uh, from theatrical release to HBO Max starting next year. This is gonna be in 2022. This is the resolution to the fact that this year, in order to get things stimulated, uh, that films are going to HBO Max and theaters day and date. Now it sounds like the window is gonna go back to 45 days. This is coming on news, uh, then we'll sort of pair it into the other one. Regal Cinemas is going to reopen uh, and they're aiming Kong, uh, Kong versus Godzilla as their big return to theaters and then with Mortal Kombat right behind it. Um, All of this news has me feeling that we are close to things getting back to normal. Um, But I'll say the Venom 2, and we weren't planning on talking about Venom, but like Venom moving out of June and back to September seemed a little hasty because they still have Black Widow and um, Fast 9 ahead of it. So I wasn't quite sure why they jumped. But where do you guys stand? Kev, where do you stand on how you feel about us getting back to summer blockbusters amidst news that regal is opening uh, up in most places
1: i still i still think that uh just in the again i don't want i don't want to jinx anything but we're going in a more positive direction Mm -hmm. towards reopening certain things across the country um i i truly believe that at some point this year once vaccinations are more rolled out than they are now that i think hbo max you think they're going to reverse that decision
0: for the rest of the movies
1: Yeah, like Dune and Matrix 4 and like, well, do you think they'll say, all right, you know what? Theaters seem to be in a good spot again. Mm -hmm. Let's why don't we jump back to this 45 day window? I guess the question is, legally speaking, if people signed up for HBO Max, how do you then justify that? I'm just Mm -hmm. because I feel like I feel like by the time we get to hopefully the end of the year, you would think that a film like Dune but i guess at the same time they're but they're opening in theaters and hbo max so you have the choice you do but i i, I just don't know i don't
0: know you, do you think they'll reverse it i don't see them reversing it whereas i see someone like denis looking at the calendar and saying oh in 2022 i can go full theatrical right and get a 45 day window push my release date back you know you mean, i'm not you, gonna does he hold... have the
1: poll to do that
0: he might I think he might versus some others. You don't think, Jake? No? No. Okay, if well, he's, so. getting, he's getting the option for people to go to theaters, though, so isn't that just as good? I mean,
2: that, that's the thing, too. I th- I think HBO's argument will be, look, like, yes, people have the option to watch it at home, but those are probably people that wouldn't have gone out to see it anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. More
2: theaters. It's not like we're... Really, it's not like it's getting the Wonder Woman 84 treatment where it's only open in a handful of theaters. Like, like hopefully by October a majority of theaters around the country will be open and yeah. people who want to and always intended on seeing it in theaters will do exactly that. You know, I, I like, you know, I, I often use my parents as like the average American and how they feel and they go to the movies maybe once a year mm-hmm. for like they're they're loving this HBO Max deal because right. they're getting to see a lot of movies at home that they it, that they would have waited until they were streaming at home anyway to see. They, you know, with Dune, like they probably were not going to go to the theaters to see it. So it's not like they're taking money out of Warner Brothers' pocket. It like they're just watching a movie that they wouldn't have gone to the movies to see anyway.
0: Sure, yeah. To a lot of people, the theatrical component is not as important. Yeah,
2: I mean, look at, I mean, I mean, this is such a microcosm of an example. But I think Tom and Jerry opening to fourteen million dollars the other weekend is really interesting. At a time where there weren't that many theaters open. And it was a kids' movie available for kids to watch at home. It had one of the biggest openings mm-hmm. of the pandemic, and I think that it, I think Godzilla vs Kong is going to be very telling, and I think um, Mortal Kombat is going to be very telling. I think go Godzilla vs Kong.
0: People will go. Yeah, I, I will go I will out of I have seen it, and I'm going to go out of my way to see it on a big screen because yeah. I honestly feel it yeah. warrants a big screen. That's all Thirst I can say. It? I can't yeah. can't review it right now. But.
3: Do you? Do you guys think they'd also be less likely to reverse just because it looks like this year is still going to have a bit of a congestion problem with releases as they're getting backed up into the tail end of the year? And like we don't even know necessarily what a, when a full-capacity full, compa- full capacity opening is going to be a mm, thing. Sure. So I could Possibly. see that also being like, we might as well keep the, the goodwill of HBO Max and, and not try to cram more people into fewer but I also screens.
2: agree with Kevin. Is that a little um, kind of shady on their part to promote you know they used a handful of movies to promote the idea of day and date releases for hbo max and and theatrical and one of the big ones that they used and their big hey sign up for hbo max thing was dune i don't think they
3: reverse it yeah i think it's yeah i I think the
2: big movies that they claimed were going to be a part of that are going to be a part of that i Um,
3: think this i think this announcement means that they Got to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah, I they think get, like, like they get the HBO Max release yeah. this year, and then all of us who care about that are like, okay, next year we'll go back to yeah. quote unquote normal.
2: So Batman mm-hmm. will have the forty five day theatrical window mm-hmm. before going it. Right. But the fact that like even isn't that crazy like. Batman is only going to be out in theaters for 45 days before but we get it at home. That
3: makes sense, though. Like the, I, mean, the window, I think that's fair. We've talked about that. I think that's very fair. The window before the pandemic felt oh, yeah. archaic. It felt it was longer than yeah. it needed to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 45 days. Uh, if you haven't seen a movie in 45 it's days, you're, you're not going to go yeah. to the theater to see it. Yeah. And if there
1: we're at a point, of- I, I I don't think Batman would leave theaters in forty five days. Sure. I just think it would it would just it would just have the additional HBO Max component. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I I feel like I've said this all along. Like we're it. Shorter windows are what we're going to have to agree to. There's going to mm-hmm. have to be shorter windows. So if theaters and, and, and studios can come to an agreement that we can have a 45 or even 30, day, I, I even think 30 would be fair. And, I, and this is some, coming from somebody who's a major theater advocate. But to, that's why I always appreciated Netflix. And you got two weeks before the, the drop on Netflix for a major release, they'd put it in theaters to force the theatrical viewing. So in this particular instance, 30 to 45, as long as there is a specific theatrical window
3: mm-hmm. yeah
1: that's all i care about like I, every movie should be given the opportunity to play in theaters first
3: a a uh, of uh a kind of a weird um maybe effect of this if if the industry as a whole goes to like a 45 day window if every studio does that does that mean that the avatar avengers in-game all-time box office is kind of
2: stuck oh that's interesting
3: Cause like how long did it take Avengers in game? Yeah. to to break the that's record, really they were doing it for months, right? It
0: was yeah. like it was at least two months, yeah. if not even longer than that. Uh, really so you're saying like nothing can really challenge it?
2: Or, well, or, so to the rest of time, we're just going to be reporting on an avatar and or in an game <laughs> yeah, release exactly. that's going
0: to go back and forth and back and forth and back yeah. and forth. Well, but I was going to bring this up too because we're contractually obligated to bring up Nolan um, every episode. <laughs> yes. The idea that Tenant is the opposite of is an like NDA going back to IMAX theaters is pretty intriguing because maybe without the glut of of titles that are fighting for um, screen space, you have the ability to take advantage of like IMAX technology or or films that really warrant the big screen and bring them back so that like really diehard fans you know that want to see Tenant on an IMAX screen all of a sudden it's there it used to be like you went to theaters then you went to home video and then everyone forgot about you but if they now bring back these titles that really like say a lot of people go see um matrix 4 you know and it's in 45 window 45 day window it's back it's available stream but everyone loves it they're over the top for it and then we get around to january and it's quiet you know and the imax screens are like let's put matrix four back up there you know and see if people come do it so uh, maybe the rules are are changing and and stretching and and bending in a way that that it'll be a wild new industry i don't know i think we should just stay flexible keep our keep our minds open to what they can do and just get people back in theaters so opening regal cinemas is a big deal uh april 2nd it's going to open in the u.s May in the UK. And again, that feels like we're turning the corner and getting ready for some exciting movies to be coming to theaters. But also, not
2: just that, it feels like we're turning a corner less apprehensively than we did last time. Because remember, Mm -hmm. like we had this conversation like around tenant time last year where like theaters, I did live shots with like theaters are back guys. they are open and look tenants about to come out and we're doing this. And, and even that was sort of like, you know, in the distance, we're like, yeah, but falls coming around and we're talking about COVID ramping back up in the fall. This corner feels much more optimistic, much more light at the end of the tunnel because we're turning the corner as Vaccines are vaccine, becoming much more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, people are open to the idea of safely going out and doing stuff, and it just mm-hmm. feels it just feels better.
3: On a, on a smaller note, but I think equally exciting for a lot of people, a lot of people listen to the show. Alamo Drafthouse just announced that they are going to be opening a new location in Texas. So, just exciting from the standpoint of what the investors, what people who are spending money on the industry, yeah. are looking forward and seeing. And something, yeah. someone like Alamo Drafthouse that just filed for bankruptcy and all that stuff is still. Optimistic opening a new location uh, okay. in a town a second location in the same town. So
2: And also just inside baseball, like Sean, you mentioned like you got to see Godzilla versus Kong at a press screening on the big screen. I'm seeing Mortal Kombat in a few days on the big screen. Like the fact mm-hmm. that like press screenings are coming back and, and they're still providing the option. By no means are they saying you have to do it this way, but they're yep. doing a very cool thing where they say, like, look, if you feel safe, here's a screening at, like you know, granted, it's also very select movies. They offered us, like, nobody on the big screen. They offered us Godzilla versus mm-hmm. Kong. They offered us Mortal Kombat. But then they also say, hey, you know what? If you're not there yet, cool, we'll give you a code. Watch it at home. Sure. But that also yeah. feels very like turning a corner and we're there. You know what
0: I can't wait for? Uh, a junket we all fly to. And I know this is so inside baseball, but, like... I am so hungry for it. Like,
2: those interviews are going to be the best interviews ever. It's just going to be, it's going to be four minutes of us and the talent
3: going, how are you? You know what Sean will say yeah. when he gets to meet you guys at the airport?
0: What? We
3: fly now. We do fly now. I'm just going to be,
0: like, holding Vin Diesel's hand as I sit across from him. This is, this is family, isn't it, Vin? All right, uh, before we started the show, we were discussing... Uh, Anne Sarnoff's comments. Anne Sarnoff is the Warner Media CEO. Um, She had an interview ready to drop on Monday. No joke. uh, Not even giving Zack Snyder a full week to celebrate uh, the return of his release of Snyder Cut. A film that, by all standards... uh, Now, we don't have numbers, and we may never have numbers, but that film, I think it's safe to say, uh, dominated the conversation in a way that the fans kind of thought that they would have to do in order to... um, Make their case that he should continue to tell more movies in this uh, in this realm, and that they should "quote unquote" restore the Snyderverse. And uh, Warner Media came out really quickly to say, uh, "Congratulations, Zach, on completing your trilogy, <laughs> and uh, we'll be moving on from here." Which Even though triggered... every interview he has said that this is movie three of five. Yes, uh, and in fact went so far as to like share details about where this was going to go. Where where did he share those details, Sean? Well, on the Real Blend podcast, uh, for starters, you should go watch that that 30-minute interview on everywhere you can get podcast uh, thingamabobs sold. uh, No, downloaded. Or you can watch us talk to Zach on YouTube. Kev, how shocked are you uh, that Warner Brothers seems to be turning their back on a universe that I think a lot of fans want to see continue?
1: Well, it's... It's sad, but one of the things I find interesting about this whole situation, and Snyder said this a lot in his interviews, is, like, this movie wasn't even supposed to come out. You know what I mean? So, like, this version, this cut that we saw, Justice League, um, that came out on HBO Max. And, like, at, at the end of the day, it's hard for fans because... That was a massive, massive success to get that film released in in, in its true visionary format from Snyder. Yeah. But of course, we're going to watch that and want more. I mean, it's just at the end of the day, that's just the nature where human beings were going to want to see what he was going to continue. Am I surprised? No. Just based on how everything went down and the whole situation, um, at the end of the day... Uh, i'm more surprised that the cut got released and and i mean that in a good way because it was awesome that the fans rose up and and raised a bunch of money uh as well and for a good cause and, and and just and really did everything that the whole story behind the snyder cut release is 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 just truly incredible um so am i surprised no because i think that at the end of the day the behind the scenes on this story is just there was a lot of things that went down there's probably things that we don't even know um went down and Mm. so um i think there i will say this at leading up into the weekend i was i was feeling a little more confident about the fact that maybe he might be able to finish these two films it seemed like there was a great buzz around it they could build momentum they could make money off of this but then snyder told us obviously that that the 2017 film is canon his film is not so it's almost as if, I don't know, I, I, I'm i saddened that, that we're not going to be able to continue with his, with his version. Um, does that mean it's definitively not going to happen? I don't think so. I mean, this could, I think they're going to find a way somehow. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I don't know. We'll see.
0: I am, I've been saying to the Snyder Cut kids uh, this whole time to not lose focus of the fact that this movie you fought for is the it's the prize. Like that's crossing the finish line and don't, if it doesn't get to continue, don't let it diminish from the fact that you fought for this version that they were never going to release. Like I get that it stings to hear uh, right now, immediately after the fact that they don't have any plans of moving forward, but they never had plans of moving forward. You know, like they had to concede to show you this version. They didn't want to. And, and Zach said on our podcast, like, they wanted to release it just as is like right. whatever's on your laptop in that version would just put that out. We don't want to sink any money into this. And so I know that it's tough to hear, um, but I don't think it was ever their intention to continue. And yeah. as much as I admire the campaign to release the Snyder cut, I think it was much easier for the studio to release a cut that was 80 to 90% finished already.
4: already,
2: already. Yeah. I have a question yeah. for you guys. If, yeah. if that's the case, and Warner Brothers never, genuinely never, and will never, never intended to, and will never proceed past where the final frame of the Snyder Cut ends. Yeah. Do you wish he had not ended the film with as many Uh-oh. cliffhangers as he did? Do you That's wish that he had said, he had sort of cut his losses and said, well, th- this isn't three of five, this is three of three, and just ended the story?
1: But the movie was always set up as an opener true, to the true.
2: other two. True, but, but he so. obviously, but he, but he made adjustments to the film anyway. And so, sure. if he, do you feel like if he genuinely believed that this, this is it, this, is, this is all this is going to be? Do you genuinely believe that he should have just maybe trimmed off that that little Return of the King epilogue? No, you're no, okay with the, the open ended questions? I am if?
0: quite the opposite. Uh, no. I actually, I, really I'm not do. That I feel that way. I'm just sort of yeah. curious as to, you know, I, I how genuinely feel about it. love that that the version that exists is really him saying this is my uncompromised part three of whatever would have been five you know five pieces and you know from here on out he knows it's going to speculate it's going to create speculation and conversation in his fan base of all the cool places that he could have gone so i kind of do love that and um you know i don't think that we're out of the realm of possibility of him being able to continue it in some other format like whether it's graphic novel or whether it's an animated feature or something i just don't think warner media is ever going to give him the opportunity to do it live action. So,
1: at the end of the day the actual issue here is that warner media owns the rights to the characters and they have to give him permission to do it basically yeah so that's really that's the the when it comes down to the the legal reason why he wouldn't be able to continue it's just that simple. It's it's just them mm-hmm. not giving him the, like it's not like Warner Brothers is going to sell their DC rights to a studio that Zack Snyder is going to work with, you know what I mean? So it's like right, it's one right. of those situations where uh, I, I I don't know, going into the weekend I genuinely felt a buzz surrounding mm-hmm. this, a positivity surrounding it that I was like, "Man, he's going to get to make those next two movies." Like he's like I kept thinking he's putting all this out there so the fans can say we want this. Yep. Um and you just assume that it would and then that interview drops on monday and it's like whoa it's like it was almost as if like you said like there was no plan to move forward we got what we got at the end of the day it's one of those weird things where yes i'm just so thankful we got what we got and now we just have to accept the fact that they at the moment don't want to move forward and as as a fan it's, it's 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 not fun, but I'm happy that we were able to get that cut. Thankfully, um, yeah. the fact it, that we got it is just. You have to I understand yeah. that movie is out. It yeah, came it out exists. like like it, it really <laughs> happened, and I think I think what makes me sad, and I get it, because that news on on Monday to have that news right after the weekend is kind of a blow. But at the end of the day the fact that it was even released to begin with blows my mind. Like, like we are, we are a very, uh, want what we want and then move on society. Like we get what we want and then we move on from it. And we want the next thing, the next big Mm -hmm. thing, the next big thing. Cause we're, you know, as a society, I feel like we've gotten more and more used to getting what we want in terms of movies and fan service and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we have to step back from it, I think, and just say, I'm thankful we got that cut. That that's that, that's where I'm trying to trying to find a, a middle yeah. ground because as mm-hmm. much as I want to see him continue and as much as I think it's ridiculous that they won't let him continue considering the fan base that's surrounding this film and the number of people who watched the film and talked about it and trended it on social media I think we have to take a step back and go we got that cut
2: it, it's, also a, it's a like big begging win. someone to go on a date with you and they finally yeah. concede and say yes I'll go on a date and when right. the date's over they say look like had a great time but like I'm just not feeling it yeah. There's, you can do it like, okay like like yeah. i appreciate you appreciate you going out with
1: me appreciate you giving mm-hmm. me a shot but like we're not going to get married like you got but I, I don't even know if the word allowed is the right word but the fact that they even allowed it conceded. to happen uh, mm-hmm. uh is just astounding to me and they gave him 70 million yeah. right and there's to, no to, good, to do, there's no know, good
0: time for them to, to say other we're not going to keep going um if they say it on monday morning it's why couldn't you let us enjoy the fact that you know right we got this if they waited two weeks the fan base would say why didn't you tell us right away how come you let us keep our hopes up for two weeks like it's a lose-lose situation yeah. for everybody nobody wants to hear this news uh, okay you know? i will say
2: it does feel like no matter what happened over the weekend whether a billion people they already decided it or they, they it, like that I, I
3: agree with you and that like that statement seemed ready to go um, look- which is Sorry, in hindsight, though, shouldn't we kind of... That have been the expectation, given the fact yeah. that they have a new Batman. They have a Batman yeah. TV series that's set in 100%. the new Batman's world. Mm-hmm. They but, have like, a indication. But we're going you know, yeah. to
2: get another Flash movie. We're going to get another Aquaman movie. We're going to get another but, uh But this movie Wonder isn't Woman DCEU,
1: movie. though. Those yeah. movies oh, are. Oh, that's so stupid. Which is really <laughs> weird. So, so, all right, so hold on. What is technically DCEU at this moment? So Everything but Man of Steel, really? BVS, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman 1 and 2... Flash will be DC. That's, that's the hill they want to yes. die on. Yeah, I mean we got Man because, of Steel
0: because in their mind, um, the universe has moved on from where from Zack's 2017 movie. Right, but
1: then why not let? So I saw I, I saw this on Twitter. Why not let Snyder just continue his out of DCU universe? Well, because the too. Like, to like, like, we're,
2: we're like our audiences are smart enough to know the difference. Like if you're right. if we're smart enough to exist in a world where we can have. Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck and Robert yeah. Pattinson be Batman all at the same time? Like we understand. Like we get different, like, directions. Like it I mean, doesn't all have to be one narrative
1: anymore. I get it. I mean, these movies cost hundreds of millions of dollars. A so lot I, it's of money. It's, yeah. it, it, it's almost like, okay, all right, so would
0: Snyder you're talking $200 thing. million. Dollars. You're well, talking $200 million. That's minimum
3: before you even promote it. You're talking half a billion dollars half to a get million. it into theaters yeah. and get people aware that it Justice yeah, is. Justice League is a monster. Yeah, I give them $13 a month, <laughs> <laughs> True,
1: but, True. Well, no, I mean, I, and that's the thing you have to also understand is that by the time a Justice League 2 or 3 came out, we wouldn't we hopefully won't be in a situation where hbo max is the only place releasing it you you would yeah, hope that it would get a it would be yeah. a global cuz i mean this but this still i mean and also global. i want to shout out hbo max for releasing this thing because yeah. they, they that's a really big deal but at the end of the day by the time a second or third justice league came out you would need a theatrical component to justify the hundreds of millions of dollars you're spending because like like you said his cut was already basically done. He just it's needed not- the other 70 million or whatever it was to shoot that last scene, finish the visual effects, make Steppenwolf awesome, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, we I'd love to get into that at some point about how great of a villain he was in this cut of the mm-hmm. film. But, um, but anyways, it, it just doesn't seem financially possible uh, unless Warner not. Brothers is like, we will let you continue. Now, is there any way, and we have to move on, is there any possible way Warner Brothers could ever say, Oh, you know what? All right, your movie is now canon. Joss's is not. Let's continue. Can you reverse that, or is it done? Sure.
0: No, no, no. I've, you can I mean, reverse canon
1: talk. You can reverse yes. canon decisions. I think okay.
0: anything can be done. It just feels like the executives who are in charge at the moment uh, are not into Zach's vision. Is
3: Batman this year or next year? Next year. Next year. Next year. If Batman Wait, comes out and it, everyone hates it, then maybe they're like, "Listen, Zach, <laughs> we're not going to hate it. You know, they're they're not gonna gonna hate no. It looks great. That, it looks awesome. Yeah.
1: It looks phenomenal." But well, Matt Reeves took a page out of Snyder's book. It's dark. It's grim. It, it looks It looks. It looks like, like a Fincher movie. Snyder, Fincher movie. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's it's it's, it's I, I just yeah, I'm sad. But at the you have to remember, think about where you were a year ago when this movie wasn't even a possibility of being released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're now we're sitting here and it's out. Just right. th- th- focus on that positive energy, I think.
0: Normally, uh, news like this breaks right after we've finished recording. <laughs> But I'm pleased to announce that we have some breaking massive news. And I see some stuff down below, but you guys have been tracking the uh, tweets uh, while we've been talking. Apparently, Black Widow is moving back. Uh, it is now going to be opening July 9th instead of May whatever. 7th, I want to say. It was for, first weekend in May. It is going to be available uh, in theaters, but also on Disney Plus Premiere, which means it's going to be that $30 rental. Uh, in addition to Black Widow moving back, did, did you guys say Shang-Chi moved back also, September? Shang-Chi moved up. Wait, when was Shang-Chi supposed to come out? July.
2: Oh, then yeah, but it moved back.
0: Okay, so Black but, Widow moved also, to July 9th, yeah. Shang-Chi moved to September. Did Eternals move? The, uh, Etern-
2: uh, from the, big, the big news I saw, because basically Disney just blew up their entire schedule, which is the news really? that we're getting. Uh, Luca, the yeah, new this Pixar just film, yeah. is yeah. going to be a Disney Plus exclusive. It's not going to theaters.
0: No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's like soul. How come yeah. Pixar's becoming the redheaded stepchild? Why would they have because releases? there's not a number
1: two after it. Uh, that's Why would awful. they not give Luca at least a theatrical run Cru- in simultaneous?
2: Cruella is also getting Cruella's also getting the theaters Premiere? and Disney
0: Plus treatment. Oh, it's getting both. No kidding. Yeah. It, just like that's, just like Black Widow. That's just on Emma Stone alone. I guess. Yeah. it's just the fact that she's in that movie. So that's but it I'm feels
2: weird that like they would do that for Cruella and they do it for Black Widow. But Luca, they're
1: not doing it for. Did Soul it, Soul didn't get a theatrical release either, did it? No, it did not.
3: That's just, crazy. Just as the family movies, though, I think have I think have proven in the last year to be a successful great at on home. their own. But yeah.
0: Raya is theaters and home. Raya got theaters. Oh, well,
3: maybe and that th- maybe they saw those numbers, whatever they were, and they said not. But worth it's, it. it's going to be a different world by the time Luca comes out. But I mean, you got to make that decision now, right? Is Luca based on the director of Call Me by Your Name?
0: I don't know. That Luca. looks very similar to that. It looks very similar to
1: that. Uh, it, it, the director's <laughs> name of calling by your name is Luca. I was just making a Guado joke. Guadarino? I was going to yeah, go with the Dallas Mavericks
0: is. joke, but you guys don't watch yeah. NBA, unfortunately. Wait, did Spider-Man get moved? Uh, they canceled it. It's it. never coming out. Well,
2: that's, that's, that's Sony, right?
0: <laughs> yes, it is, but it's tied into the Marvel tapestry, so I'm just worried about them moving Spider-Man back. I don't yeah, but that's back. Sony, right? Will you guys... <laughs> Yes, it's Sony. Will you guys, well, you guys will go to theaters. I was going to ask, would you pay money to see Black Widow on Disney Premiere?
2: I would go to, no, at this point, honestly, at this point, you could project a phone book onto the big
0: screen and I pay to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's big news. Black Widow moving back. And, and ah, you guys see? know how
1: little I care. About, so Black Widow gets a simultaneous premium yeah. Yeah. and then theatrical. And theaters.
0: But July, now they're saying July.
2: Yeah. But, but Cruella is going to be end of May, they're still saying.
1: Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. How do we measure box office for a movie like Black Widow?
2: I don't know. Gabe brings up a really interesting point, which is like, is our measurement of... Blo- like Are we... Because ab- also, you know, and we've talked extensively about how I distrust the numbers that we get from streaming services. Are we about to enter into a world where we really don't know how well a movie does
1: anymore? Yeah, maybe.
2: How, how did it, Snyder's
1: movie do? No one knows.
2: I Honestly, I, s- I, I don't know if we're ever going to know because I I think that if HBO Max comes out and says, oh, it was a massive success, then the narrative is going to be, well, then why don't you move forward with the Snyderverse? And no company is ever going to come out and say that thing we did was an absolute failure. So I don't think we're ever going to know what, to- because also too, uh, you know, after Marvel, because remember when, um, what was it? Well, it was Wonder Woman came out and then Marvel yeah. also had something and soul. it was like around soul. soul and they were both like almost competing Day. as to like which one had the bigger numbers and they both released their numbers within a very short amount of time with each other. Falcon and Winter Soldier just came out and said it was the biggest streaming premiere in Disney Plus history and then disney crickets. plus history
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know put like storied
0: yeah you know a it good is. headline you guys remember Here's when steamboat Willie premiered on disney plus the success of a streaming service i think boils down to subscriptions uh more than it does like how many subscribers are you bringing on board for it because yeah. that's where they're making well, their money well
3: that's the whole game yeah
0: you also can't get the metrics on a streaming thing because what if somebody plays Snyder Cut for half an hour and then bails out on it? It's a four hour film. That's that's Does that always mean that been my that's always that you a know, success?
2: Well, well, Netflix has gone on record saying that they count it as two minutes. If you watch it for two minutes,
0: that's yeah. that's a that's, that's a viewer. So what do those which, numbers mean? Those numbers don't mean anything. And that, that's that's why I
2: say that they mean nothing. They're arbitrary. But and, so, and to me it's different than when people say, Oh, like you could pay to see a movie and walk out after two minutes. But what's the likelihood of that? The likelihood of someone paying fifteen dollars right. to go see a movie and walking out is far less than someone bailing out after two minutes of realizing that they don't like a movie.
1: So I've, theoretically, in 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 a sorry, great in, in, no, in, no. in a world of box office, theoretically speaking, from Disney's perspective, theoretically, what you could do is mark you you put the thirty dollars that go to the that goes to the premium access as box office. So yes. I, I think that's how it would work. I mean, this is again, this is my my guess. So the movie opens in theaters. You get your numbers there. Let's say it does fifty million in its okay. first weekend, and then let's say the streaming service puts up another thirty or forty million. And there's an 80, 90 million dollar weekend. I, I I don't see why that would not make sense to I me. Mean, I feel like it makes if sense. If it's, but it's I mean, that the kind problem of is less people. the 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 only issue with that is that when you pay the hundred thirty dollars. 10 people in your house could watch it. You know sure. what I mean? And so you're not getting the, the individual ticket price. But I think... But that, I but, would that argue but that only works out. with
3: a premiere access. Yeah. If it's HBO Max day and date, it's just right. part of your subscription. There's no numbers. But so, I'll, I've said this before. I, I do want to point out, I think because for us, we love talking about the numbers and that's the news and that's the narrative we build around. Films are box office numbers. But filmmakers have said time and time again that they love making movies for Netflix because they don't have to wait... Mm. and pull their hair out opening weekend Mm -hmm. quote unquote and see if see if it's a success or not the first day it's out because it got this number versus that number they netflix just says yep did great and they're like okay cool netflix is happy i don't have to stress about that as a filmmaker and if a filmmaker's happy i'm hard pressed not to support that but 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 i guess somewhere there's going to be a number attached to it
2: like someone somewhere like 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 we work in news we might not broadcast to our viewers what our ratings are every day like it might not be a thing where like I or and honestly I don't even really know what what our ratings are. I don't wake up every morning and stress about what the ratings yeah. are the day before. But I guarantee you, there's someone, someone at my station that knows what they are sure, and they are and course. they are they are altering altering future decisions based on things. So like you can't super say that like someone so like that the narrative's not there and that decisions aren't being made based on the numerical success of these things because sure. it might not be as public. But someone somewhere around a board table well, board room is, table, is making a decision based ne- on numbers.
3: Netflix's kind of stated um, model is that they just need subscribers who are there to mm. feel like their subscription is still valuable and enough interest so that people who aren't subscribed, which is almost... I mean, they've almost capped what they're going to be able to get, essentially, um, will come on board. It doesn't really matter what it is or why it is. They just need enough buzz around their product... So the people hit subscribe. So it's mm. it's hard to tie that to a single title, I think, in general. I but also mean, also I, I to... guess when,
1: when they spend 200 something million dollars or whatever the budget was on Six Underground, are they mm-hmm. making money on that?
3: Uh, I don't think they've made money ever. Yeah, <laughs> you know I don't what I mean, though? Like, I h- think they're still are... working on debt, to be honest.
1: If they gave if, uh, whatever the budget was for that movie. No, I mean, I know it did well, I guess, from, from the numbers that we saw, but... Did it do well, like in the sense of like, did they make money on that movie? Like, and, and the Gray Man, the, the Rooster Brothers brand new movie with Chris Evans and uh, Ryan Gosling and Regé-Jean Page from uh, Bridgerton. That's apparently the most expensive movie Netflix ever has ever made. No kidding. How are they going to gauge how much how successful it is?
0: Yeah, I don't know, because to How me, you, there's so many ancillary sides yeah. that have to come into, like, part of the reason why superhero movies are so successful and part of the reason why the Snyder ones yeah. are not so as successful is because they thrive on other avenues like toy sales and, yeah. you know, yeah. other merchandise that goes with it. And kids aren't snatching up, you know, the Batman, Bruce Ben Affleck's Batman on a T-shirt. <laughs> I mean, don't you know. forget,
2: I mean, that uh, Tim Burton's Batman series was derailed because of McDonald's Happy Meals. Like yeah. McDonald's but, looked at that movie and went, we can't make freaking Happy Meals out yeah. of a, out of a penguin that rips off somebody's nose.
1: But how they do how they how they promote Dark Knight then with toys and stuff like that? Did they? Well, they Did didn't. They do Dark Knight happy, happy meals?
0: No, they didn't. No. Yeah. No. You can't do they like
1: didn't. a uh, give a kid an action figure for Joker. I mean, you nine, can't nine do times that out, of out of ten, of I mean,
0: you know, nine times out of ten, that's what's driving the decision. On the tenth example, it's Nolan giving you one of the best, best you know, superhero movies right? ever created. Um, yeah. But for the most part, they're making those decisions. But like a, a film like Six Underground had no, it didn't have a blip. On the radar, like no one talked about it at all. Yeah. You know, that, I think more but, people Michael. talk about yeah. uh, um, Extraction, the Chris Hemsworth movie. You know, yeah. that at least had some legs to it. People discussed it, but I, don't, I just don't know how to gauge success on these. That's what I'm trying to understand. Titles.
1: Like Six Underground was, you know, where'd all that money go? Like, (laughs) I'm just Uh trying to understand, like, and they're spending that much money on a lot of films. Like, you know how much The Crown costs to make? Now, The Crown... So, their defense,
3: they're the Kleenex of streaming services. You know? What do you mean? They're Netflix. They're Netflix. Netflix is is the example you say when you're talking about streaming. Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's what, I think that was the business model was, if we become Coca-Cola of streaming, streaming's here forever... We will make billions of dollars, however many mm-hmm. years down the road.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, I don't think anybody will ever be like Blockbuster and Netflix like that. They'll they'll always be the leader in that term that terminology when yeah. it comes to streaming. Yeah. Or honestly, yeah.
2: at this point, I, you could argue Apple's done the same. Did you ever hear that story that um, Microsoft got so pissed because they paid millions upon millions upon millions of dollars of for it to be the supplier for tablets for coaches and defensive <laughs> coordinators and stuff on sidelines and football games. And the commentators would make comments like, "Oh, you see the coach over there with his iPad, getting this and this and this." And Microsoft Mm -hmm. is like, "What the hell? Like we're paying (laughs) millions of dollars to be like your 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 tablet, and your commentators are calling it iPads."
0: That's funny.
1: That's when you when you transition into the definitive uh, like Band Aid for a long time. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that that was a name brand. I thought that was just either yeah. Like I know Jacuzzi (laughs) is like like, I know Jacuzzi is a name brand of a hot tub, and people. Wait, is Jacuzzi not a a brand? That's funny. <laughs> I, I always call that thing a jacuzzi, or I always yeah. call that thing a baby. Like,
2: like, pretty soon, I, people going to be like, what are you listening to? And they're going to be like, I'm listening to a real blend. Like, it's just going to be, you're not going to be able to tell the difference <laughs> yeah. between... That's the a podcast. podcast. Well, look
0: at Google. Like, Google is a verb, yeah. you know?
2: Google, yeah, like just Google yeah. it. Yeah, yeah the thing is, is that I don't, I, don't go, I don't, like, say, let me Google it and go to, like, Ask Jeeves.
1: AirBuds yeah, yeah, yeah. is almost yeah. getting, almost becoming its mm-hmm. own thing, too. Yeah, like, put it is AirPods? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, like people say AirPods. Like, like put your yeah. AirPods in, even. I you call just them have...
0: AirBuds too, all the time. Uh, and yeah. will, and that's a dog that
1: plays
2: me. basketball.
1: Remember yes. what was the, the sequel? The sequel to that movie had a great title. It was a golden re- golden retriever or whatever it was. Like it was like golden it was, receiver. He, it was the golden football receiver. Line. That's what it was. Golden receiver. <laughs>
0: golden receiver. <laughs> <laughs> we went in a direction I did not AirPods expect us two. to go. <laughs> golden <Bud> receiver.
1: <laughs> golden receiver. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great title. I thought that was such a brilliant. Play on that because he was like. Remember the poster was like it was like a football movie like, like a yeah, yeah. football yeah. It was oh, cool. they made a
0: they made one for every sport. Essentially. Golden Receiver. There's a whole slew of, of oh, those great AirPod titles. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to this <laughs> weekend movies. Uh, Gabe wants us to rave about a new series coming to Amazon Prime Video uh, by Robert Kirkman, who everyone kind of knows from The Walking Dead, but he has a comic book series called Invincible uh, that is getting a an animated adaptation. Gabe, tell us why we should care.
3: Uh, you shouldn't know anything going into it. It's one of those. Um, all I will say is it's superhero related. Um, okay. it's about a kid getting his powers. His dad's his dad's essentially Superman in this universe. Um, and it is one of the coolest stories I've ever read. Uh, stories. I'm just I'm not qualifying that with superhero. It's one of the coolest stories I've ever read. It's one of the most uh, interesting and fresh superhero stories I've ever read. Um, and it was like I read like the first issue and and fell in love with it um the cast is amazing uh it's robert kirkman who is uh, i think is super creative um so don't miss this one check it out okay yeah. is that, that's amazon amazon prime yeah prime yes. and so few saw... people
2: doing the junket but i turned them down after i didn't get invited who saw nobody
0: i did Kev? tell us about yeah
1: nobody. this is david you know david leach so it's uh he produced it this is like you know essentially in that john wick uh Atomic Blonde style of, of filmmaking. Um uh Leach didn't direct it, but but Leach is a producer on it and uh and Leach obviously directed, co-directed first John Wick and then him and Stellhesky went on. I think Stelhesky went on to do two and then Leach did Atomic Blonde. So it's mm-hmm. it's very much in that brand. Um, Odin Kirk is great in it because he's such an unassuming badass. Um but a realistic badass. Like in the sense of like what I appreciated about the film is that you actually see him get hurt. And I think that happened mm-hmm. with John Wick too, where like they don't make the, uh, an action scene where he kills or beats up like 10 people. He doesn't walk away feeling like he just had like the greatest workout of his life. He walks away beaten up, bruised, beaten down. Um, that bus scene that's in the trailer. I mean, he takes a big beating in that scene. And, and, and like, to me, it, it, it just added a sense of realism, realism and grounded element to that's what it would be like to see this guy in this situation. Like, I don't mm-hmm. believe he's on some superhero uh, level. He is a human being who has training and Kirk is not, you know, even he'll even say this. He said this in my interview. It's not like, you know, you know, when you look at Keanu Reeves and Charlize Theron, you can see the action star. And he says like, for me, I don't know if you necessarily see it. And, but, but in the sense of like, he is playing like an ordinary guy who just happens to be in an extraordinary situation that, he did have training in the past. He's now, as a family, wants to move on. It gets brought back through uh, him, you know. Essentially, uh, is there he's, a good uh, reason
0: for bringing it back? Is that yeah, well, a good he hook?
1: protects. He protects a bystander on the bus, and the people he beats up end up being part of a a, a bigger uh, villain okay. picture, and okay. that kind of lures him back into that. Because basically, gotcha. someone someone breaks into his house in the beginning mm. of the film, and that's all tied to the storyline specifically okay. like and he doesn't like at one point during the break-in which is in the trailer he he has the opportunity to probably beat the crap out of all the the, the, the people who broke into his house but he just he decides to restrain himself and not do it because mm. basically you put yourself on the map if you do something hard like you could do something like that but even mm. in self-defense people would question oh how did you how did you even do that what what training did you have in the past so he kind of keeps it hidden almost like uh superman not uh, not not saving his father's life and uh, uh man of steel not, like he does, it, does it, it to hide his hide his powers does so he work um, at a
0: cinema cinema cinnabon and they I shoot it in black and
1: white they shoot in black and white and it and <laughs> then it takes and we're wait, you're just waiting for brian cranston and aaron paul to show up the whole time <laughs>
0: i understand that reference because i watched the that. show yes because i'm fulfilled
1: by end of the bargain
0: <laughs> is it it's Sorry. just theaters right Yes, Nobody? only
1: theaters. Yeah, and I appreciate the fact that we're, that they're only doing it in theaters. It's but really it's, cool it's to coming
2: it. to PVOD in a few
1: weeks, right? I think. Well, that, isn't that Universal's deal? Yep. It's like seventeen yep. days. Oh, and then seventeen and it, days. Yeah, which is another yeah. another uh, great way to look at the shorter windows, and and mm-hmm. you know, again, give the give the theatrical the initial run. I'm I mean, again, I keep lowering my days here from forty five to thirty to seventeen. But as long as you get that theatrical run initially. I don't care how long it takes. As Just, long. Just give, it, give it a week or two. 17 days is perfect, actually.
0: All right. This week's blend game. Uh, we chose the films of Antoine Fuqua. And try as I might, I could not come up with anything besides uh, Training Day. So I went Training Day. And Wait, I, th- I, is... thought we, I
2: thought we said we weren't, we all agreed we weren't doing Training Day.
0: Oh, did we say you that? Could, you could pick Training
3: Day, but you had to have a second to at least discuss so we could diversify our... Okay. Um, so what would be your number two? We can still discuss Training Day because we sh- we don't need to gloss over a great film. But I think
0: Training Day across the board. I think we probably even did this when we did Denzel somewhat recently. Yes, cause we talked because you guys at a least two of, you, of picked, you did. I think at least yeah, two of you did. picked Training Day, and it's just it, I, it it's hard with Antoine Fuqua because I feel like in a way we talked about this with Tarantino. You know, when you come out the gate with something early in your career that's as good as that is, you're always going to be sort of competing with that or, or chasing it to a certain degree. And I'm not quite sure that he is going to ever make a film that's just that good. Everything clicked for that film in particular. If I had to go to another one, I'd go The Equalizer, and I liked The Equalizer a lot more than I thought I was going to. You know, remake of an old television show just had a pretty good concept. But I love the fact that Antoine Fuqua has just found sort of his muse in Denzel, and he brings out the he brings out the weight that Denzel can bring to a role. Um, the drama and the the, life lived. Denzel can do that so well. And uh, I will also hold on to Equalizer because it's one of my most favorite junket experiences when I got to interview Denzel and Antoine Fuqua together. And I asked the right question to start off the day, which was just um, that movie takes place in a, the finale of it takes place in a Home Depot type warehouse and um, Denzel's character sets off the the um fire alarms so it's it's raining down on them the whole time which is a great stylistic choice and i said but denzel that must have been pretty awful to film and he told this amazing story about just like how much he hated antoine fuqua like on the first day it made sense but after 18 hours of filming it and then having to film it for multiple days, and he just did it in, like, the greatest Denzel, st- and Antoine Foucault was dying laughing, and it mm. was, it'll always go down as one of my favorite sort of junket memories because I just knew I'd, I'd asked something that people weren't asking, and it triggered some really great stories. So selfishly, for that reason, I'm going to pick Equalizer for There are uh, some people, I
2: feel like P- junket people always say uh, that, like, the laughter bar that you want to get as an interviewer is Julia Roberts, and she obviously has oh, a great laugh. She has a famous laugh. But I'm with you, Sean, and that, like, I think there's nothing better than – because when you interview Denzel, if you can get a Denzel laugh, like, it's zero or ten. When (laughs) that dude laughs – he yeah. laughs big, and you know it, and everyone in the hallway knows oh, yeah. it. Like, yeah. it's such a great <laughs> moment. And honestly, yep. like, coming from him, it's such a great feeling. And, uh, no, I, I, I'm I, with, like, oh, there's nothing better in an interview than a Denzel. I, I, to me, my, like, laughter bar is a Denzel Washington laugh. That's a good one.
0: All right. Who's your, what's your choice then for Antoine?
2: Well, aside from training day, because I, I agree with you in that, like, training day is also. It, people don't appreciate how meticulously crafted that movie is. Like there are lines that are said in the distance by characters that have implications. Uh, You know, there's one moment where like the focus is on Jake is on Ethan Hawke and Alonzo is in the background casually on the phone. And you hear him very softly say to someone on the phone, get the bathtub ready. Mm. And, and and then obviously you end up seeing Jake in the bathtub with a shotgun in his face screaming, I have a little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the, just the retic- like him grabbing the, uh, the the Chinese food menu in the opening scene off of his car windshield and then using it as the warrant uh, mm-hmm. later on. There's so many little moments. They're just ah, beautiful. Uh, Anton Fuqua, but the year I think the year before training day, maybe the, two years before, did a movie with Jamie Foxx and David Morris called Bait. Mm. And I love that movie. It is basically uh, a pristine thief steals like um, millions of dollars worth of gold. And there is a reason that they like they think that Jamie Foxx bumped into this guy and that somehow Jamie Foxx might inadvertently know where the gold is. So David Morse runs this kind of CIA spying operative. And this was at a time where like the idea of like there being cameras on every corner was mm-hmm. still kind of a new, oh my God, are they, are they watching us kind of idea? And so it's all a, basically they start using Jamie Foxx and putting him, without him knowing it, into dangerous, precarious positions to attract this gold thief by making him believe that Jamie Foxx knows where the gold is, or has the gold. Um, It's a really fun movie. It's still when Jamie Foxx... It was before Jamie Foxx really kind of started venturing into drama, so he was still really fun comedic uh, Jamie Foxx. He's got some... I I think David Morse is a truly underrated actor, and he's got Mm -hmm. some really fun moments with David Morse. It has a surprisingly great score, like a weirdly great score. I remember like even thinking, thinking like, the score for this movie is so much better than it has any right to be. It's a really fun movie. 21 years later, it's probably a little dated because the entire focus is technology that we kind of all assume is now part of our reality now. But at the time was very much kind of on the cusp of like, wait, is this actually a thing? But if mm. you've never seen the movie bait, never I honestly think it. I think it might be Anton, Antoine Fuqua's like directorial, like feature directorial debut. Uh, it's really a great movie. Um, I, I was leaning toward uh, Olympus uh, Has Fallen for a second, but I eventually had to go with, with Bait just because it's it's so much fun and I remember loving it as a kid and I rewatched it a few years ago. And aside from like the, the idea of, of, of the technology being a little dated, it's still very fun. Very cool. I
1: never yeah. even
0: heard of it. Kev, what'd you pick? Uh,
1: I went with Olympus Has Fallen. Only, okay. And I rewatched that recently, which it's it's awesome. I, I know it's diehard in the White House, but it's it's so much fun. Um, it's extremely well done from an action perspective. And I thought that Jared, Gerard Butler was great. Um, you know, it's a pretty terrifying film if you think about it. It's very, very violent. Um, that whole sequence in the, the bunker... With Aaron Eckhart and Melissa Leo uh, as they as they're trying to get the numbers out of Mm -hmm. them um, Mm -hmm. for the codes for whatever the nuclear launch would be. Um, Just a really like I thought I'd say at at the end of the day, that movie is like a a very over the top explosive action film that actually has grounded realism to the consequences of what would happen if that actually went down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I always find fascinating about movies like that is. They're like do you ever wonder when you watch those like wait are they giving people ideas on how yeah. to do the do these things like like they're like it's so specifically planned out and like exacting and like here's how they're doing it and I'm like and I guess what they have to do I, don't, I would love to ask Antoine Fuqua this when you do a movie like that and you're basically breaking in and taking over the White House do you have to clear it with like security oh, to that's say interesting. Yeah, that's a little too that's a that's that's a little too realistic, you know, or whatever it is. Like, is this, this going to give somebody the wrong idea? And I always like every time I watch The Olympus Fallen, I'm like, like the, it just seems as if like they found like the movie finds a way yeah, to make you believe like Ocean's they 11, can do like Ocean's it. Eleven makes right, like right. it makes it
2: this feel like we could all go rob a casino right. in Vegas. Right.
1: And so, like, I, I was, but I, I would have to imagine that before putting out something like that, there's, because I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing with the whole camp. It da- doesn't even go to Camp David in the beginning, and there's like, the, it's all like, you know, it doesn't because that's how the wife dies off of the bridge in the snowy, um, oh, in the right, snowy right, limo right, scene, right, right. and yeah. like, and it's just like, it just seems. They they built in so much of what we know and 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 about our world that it it always those types of movies always always fascinate me you know I'm always like wait is somebody gonna like learn how to do something bad by watching these movies um but no we but, saw yeah, that movie Olymp-
2: together you and I in New York yeah
1: yeah yeah we did Olympus has fallen is I think an underrated action film uh, and London has fallen remember, was terrible
2: I would say that was the summer that two White House invasion movies were coming out, and <laughs> we kind of. And the other one was Roland Emmerich, and I don't know about you, I kind of assumed the other one was going to be better, yeah. uh, and ended up Olympus of like White House Down sucked, and Olympus Fallen yeah. was awesome. That's a great pick, a,
1: and it's rated R. It's brutal. It's like it's it's just un, it's unapologetically an R rated action film. Like it's just genuinely awesome. Like I, I think if people revisit it, I, I don't. Some of the CGI doesn't hold up as well, especially when they're flying, uh, the, like, some of the characters are flying over uh, the monument, and you see the monument topple, but, like, some of that CGI is a little dated, but, but overall, I thought it was a, it's a really, really well-paced and just intriguing action scene, a uh, movie, and I th- also think Gerard Butler's great in the movie, I actually think he gives a great performance, I think his dedication to the president is, is, is believable, and it's just an awesome film.
3: I wanted to go back. That's a great pick. I wanted to go back to Jake's pick though because you mentioned the music I love Bait. I grew up watching Bait. Yes, um, and you mentioned the music and I was like who did that? It was Mark Mancina who wow. if you don't know he did he was the composer for Speed for Bad Boys Oh was Bad a great,
2: oh, great Twister yep.
3: for Con Air wow. for Speed 2 uh, for Bait for training day for There was a couple other ones He did August Rush, Shooter Which is a Fuqua, another great Fuqua movie um, And then he did the original score Composed by is the official credit on Moana
0: Wait, was August oh, wow. Rush the Joseph Gordon-Levitt bicycle movie? No, you're thinking Premium Rush. No,
3: August Rush was the, oh, the, the kid Rush. with the guitar. Yeah, the kid that plays guitar is August premium Rush. Premium Rush, I forgot about that.
0: Not <laughs> to be like, confused Michael, with Rush. He, he and Michael Shannon <laughs> were like yeah, opposing I, bicycle <laughs> messenger guys or some such. Anyway, what, a, what a, a great resume. I want to seek that out. All right, uh, audience picks for Antoine Fuqua. Michelle Garris said The Magnificent Seven. I know it's a remake of a remake of a remake, but it's so much fun to watch. Gregory Voigt also picked Magnificent Seven. Um, Michael Breen, Josh Kemig, and many, many others went training day. Ross Cordinal said Southpaw. And there was also some love for Southpaw his version was of.
1: great, by the King way, with Jake Hall That was great.
0: And Rachel McAdams always gets points from Rachel McAdams. For next week's blend game, we would be playing hashtag. I can't believe we haven't done this one before. Feels like we've done this one. No? Hashtag Kate Winslet Blend. We played Kate Winslet Blend? No, we haven't, because that's weird to say. Kate Winslet Blend. I feel like uh, so Gabe's, know your pick. Gabe
2: is, is, is the real Blend historian. Pretty He's got good a pretty about good, good idea yeah. about what we have and have not done. All
0: right, well, we're diving into the work of Kate Winslet. Uh, uh, historian or guy with a spreadsheet, you know? It's, let uh, us know your picks historians via email. Historians have spreadsheets. Uh, RealBlend at CinemaBlend.com, or you can use social media hashtag Kate Winslet Blend. Uh at that website you can also send us reviews we do not have a review this week but make sure you head over to apple podcast and drop Why us a not? fun review and we will read it on the show well we're not doing good enough apparently jake not well, enough to, to inspire the masses to uh we gotta step up our game my, my our shoulders hurt from carrying the show all week on our next premium episode it's a mailbag episode hey, mailbag. do we have do That's we have always, questions It's yeah. always very fun uh you can access premium episodes uh, by doing a $5 a month subscription uh, as and you can go to premium uh, to access that at bit.ly backslash premium. and in the meantime, follow us on social media. We'll be back next week with a full-on show. Uh, some pretty exciting guests on the radar in the hopper. Hashtag if it happens. Uh, follow us at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Go check out the Zack Snyder interview if you guys missed it and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this week's uh, interview with Adam Wingard. And until next week.
1: We forgot to ask we? Zach if Snyder if you watched Hubie. Hubie.
0: No, but we did ask him if he watched Tenet. And everyone was like, I Can't believe you guys asked him if you watched Tenet. I was like, Well Nolan's his producer. Like that. We can just pull it yeah. out of left. We're not just asking people if they watched <laughs> that, that would be Tenet.
2: like someone asking me if I've read your book. Like that's a legitimate question.
0: Oh, yeah. dude, you made me laugh so hard with that joke on social media that I just text you a link to buy my book. Because there's some truth to that. Like, I feel like that's something I would do. Because I'm a whore, like we've said. me! Like you've told Zack Snyder.
3: <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1
1: grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.